Well, Pastor Rick didn't make me feel too old when he talked about how long I've been preaching. First service, he introduced himself as the senior pastor, and then I introduced myself as the oldest guy. So I guess we never win. <clears throat> Between services, I was talking with Paul, and we were kind of joking. <clears throat> and I said, if you just remember one word, grace, you'll remember the sermon. So that reminds me of a little boy who came home from church and mother or father said, what was the sermon about this morning? Boy said, sin. Well, what did the preacher say? He was against it. <laughs> well, I'm for grace. I hope you are. Um, it's an amazing concept to think about. God giving us over and over again, day by day, what we never deserve. This is the fourth in a series of Advent sermons that uh, Pastor Rick kicked off on the last Sunday of November when he talked about John 3, 16 and 17. The breadth and the depth of God's amazing love for all of mankind. Pastor Tim then took us to Galatians where in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman and showed us how perfect God's timing was for Jesus to come because of the nature of what was going on in the world at that time. That they developed this single language that everybody could understand so that the message would be clear. There was transportation that made it possible to get from one place to another to carry the message. And then the peace that the empire had brought so that people could go and share. Last week, Pastor Jared reminded us about God's great love that he had for us from 1 John. Talked about a love that was mysterious costly, strong, and contagious. So I hope that as we uh, think about all of these things, we also remember the uh, very overall arching theme of when love came down, that the choir, the drama team, and the Kingdom Kids Choir blessed us with. And how in the story of Scrooge, after seeing those past, present, and futures, he decided to become a different person and make changes. But then he found out that being good wasn't enough. So I hope that today as we talk about grace, we'll see that this gift of God for all mankind is made available because of Christ's death on the cross. We've heard the scriptures read. Let's pause for prayer. Father, <clears throat> I pray that as we look at the word today, that you will show us how your grace applies to us, every one of us, and how it applies to us on a daily basis. Thank you for your goodness, thank you for your love, and thank you for this opportunity to look into your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. 
I was assigned verse 8. And it's a great verse to memorize. But I can't just talk about verse 8 without looking at the context of the first verses and the verses that follow it. So we're going to do more than just verse 8, but we want to start there. And my first point is simply this. God continues to show his love to sinners. If you're writing it down, that's pretty easy. God's grace involves continuing to show his love to sinners. Now, when I was growing up in church, the only English translation of the Bible was the King James. So I memorized it in the King James translation. And then as the New American Standard and other Bibles came in, I I tried to contemporize my memory verse. And so here's here's how I remember it. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you just love it when you're studying the Bible and all of a sudden you realize you were wrong? I thought I did pretty good in contemporizing. I saw a few people even nodding that they thought the demonstrator was better than commendeth. It's only one problem with my revision, if you will. I put it in the past tense. And it's not in the past tense. It's in the present tense. God demonstrates his love for us. In that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you became a Christian in the last year, or 50 years ago, God is still demonstrating his love for you because of the cross. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but we want you to understand that God is continuing to demonstrate his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is holy and perfect like God is. It's the only one. So, in my um, ministry life, as I've talked to people, most everybody acknowledges that they're a sinner. If they don't want to use that word sin, because it just makes them feel uncomfortable. They will say they've done wrong. They've done things that are wrong. Um, When I was uh, in ministry, we had a missionary come, and they were trying to describe what it was like to bring the gospel into this tribal village. So the missionary was asking somebody, is it wrong to steal chickens. Chickens were a a major part of their diet and of their livelihood. So this person that he was talking to said, it's wrong to steal chickens from somebody in the village. But it's not wrong to steal a chicken from another village. 
So, stealing is wrong. Stealing isn't wrong. Situation ethics? that sound like a good description of it? Well, let me try to contemporize that. Lying is wrong. Sometimes, people say, lying is right. Because of the situation that's requiring me to lie. What's the Bible say about lying? It's a three-letter word. Sin. Lying is wrong. So if we're doing wrong, what do we do about it? Well, people who believe there's a God, and we have to wonder about that in our culture, don't we? The way the world is today, there are people who are denying the existence of God or saying it's impossible to know if there's a God, so whether I'm accountable or not to him, it really doesn't, doesn't always factor into their decision because if they know they've done wrong, they try to balance it out by trying to do something good. So they'll basically be looked at as a good person. Not as a person who always does wrong. But if they don't feel comfortable enough with how much good they've heaped up, and what they end up doing, for the most part, is saying, well, I know I'm not real good yet, but I'm not as bad as that guy. They always find somebody who's a little worse of a wrongdoer or sinner than they are. The problem is that if all have sinned and fall short of the perfection of a holy God, what does that holy God say about us? He says the wages of sin is death. So if God has determined the penalty for sin to be death, then no one can do enough goodness to pay that wage. Verse 6 in our text says, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That description of sinners, one translation says powerless. Another translation says helpless. We needed somebody to do something about the state that we find ourselves in. And that's where verse 8 comes in with that wonderful first word in the verse. It's not a big word. So important, however. So here we are, weak, helpless, powerless to do anything about our sins, but God could do something. Something to help us with our fallen state, with our sins, 
with all that we've done, he helps us in our helplessness by loving us so much that he shows his love for us while we're still sinners, he sends Jesus Christ into this world to die for us. To die instead of us. So the wages of sin is death and Jesus Christ substituted his perfection and took on our sins and died in your place and mine. That's the wonderful gospel of God's amazing grace. He loves us so much that verse 6 says, at the right time, that perfect time that Pastor Tim talked about, Christ died for the ungodly. The wage of sin is death. Christ paid that penalty so that the rest of verse 23 of chapter 6 says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when Christ died in our place, he paid the penalty so that by faith we can claim God's promises to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, bring us into his family, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to live a life that pleases him. Now, if there was a gift under the table, under the tree, it would have somebody's name on it. And the amazing thing about salvation is that God has made it available for you and for me to have it, to receive this forgiveness. But we have to take action to do it. A gift unwrapped is not useful until it's opened and received by by the one who's receiving it. Faith involves believing what God has promised. How do I know that my sins are forgiven? Because God promised it. How do I know that I have eternal life? Because God promised it. I believe God. That's the whole background to chapter 5 from Abraham believing God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we take action to receive God's forgiveness, accept that gift of eternal life, believe what he promises, and that's the beauty of the beginning of God's grace in salvation. God continues to show his love for us in an ongoing basis when we look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about justification, but it simply means to be declared righteous. Because Christ paid the penalty for our sins, we have right standing with God. And that's the peace with God that we're talking about. Because of Christ's death, God can declare you and, and can declare me to be righteous in his sight. The punishment's been taken. Back in chapter 3, after, after verse 23 that talks about the, the, that we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, it says that we are justified by his grace as a gift. 
declared righteous. And then verse 25 goes on to say it's to be received by faith. Now, in our text, in verse 10, it says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's where I want us to think about what it means to be standing with Christ and having peace with God. This isn't just a good feeling. It's an objective reality for the believer. I am no longer fearful of God's punishment for my sins or fearing the future wrath of God because it's already been all dealt with by Christ on Calvary. So I have, and you can have, peace with God. We're no longer enemies. We've been reconciled back into a good relationship where our sin separated us from God. Calvary brings us back together. And we're united with Christ and with God once again. So I have to ask, do you know this morning that your standing before a holy God is a peaceful place? Or do you wonder if you're still an enemy? Or has Satan come along and, and robbed you of your joy? I know what it's like to have that peace with God taken away because I was under the mistaken conception that peace with God depended on me. Whether or not I was obeying all of the commandments, doing what was right and not doing what was wrong. And when I didn't do that, I lost this standing with God in my mind but I had never really lost it at all. Because peace with God is dependent on Calvary's cross, not on our behavior. Peace with God, right standing with God, is possible because of God's forgiveness of our sins. That's what I mean by God's grace being a daily demonstration of God's love. When we claim 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our, our standing with God is restored through confession. The Holy Spirit brings us to a point of conviction about our sins. We confess it and he cleanses us and forgives us and washes it away. Our adversary, on the other hand, accuses us of our sins, and sometimes he's really right, we have sinned, but the grace of God is available to be forgiven for that. Satan wants to drive us away from God, the Holy Spirit tries to draw us back into fellowship with him. So God continues to show his love by continually applying Christ's death to our account for our sins. That is grace. 
unmerited favor with God. No Christian is perfect or sinless. You look like you're all right. We all wear our happy Sunday mask. We don't walk up to people in the palm court and say, man, I was really a miserable sinner this week. How about you? You know? But when we greet people, we know that we have sinned. But we also need to know that God has forgiven us because of Christ. Peace with God is God's grace experienced for us on a daily basis. You see, if God expected that we would become sinless and perfect, then he wouldn't have, had put, wouldn't have put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible in the first place. But he knew we needed to experience the confession and the forgiveness and the cleansing that God makes available to us. Look back at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by all the good things that we do. Oh, see? I mistook that, didn't I? When I thought that peace with God was because of my behavior. Justification is by faith and peace with God is how? Through Jesus Christ. That's where the standing comes from. The gospel of grace impacts us on a daily basis as we experience his peace and know that we don't face the wrath of God. So is it possible that you have been brought here this morning by the grace of God because you've been wrestling with how to be at peace with God? Maybe you've heard the gospel 10, 15, 20, 100 times, but you've never really acted on it. You've never really admitted to God, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I deserve eternal separation from you as a holy God. But I do believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I do believe that you are willing to forgive me of my sins. And so I claim your promises to forgive and to cleanse me from all of my sins and give me that wonderful gift of eternal life. It's not of works, so none of us boast, do we? Well... Not only does God's gracious gift work out for our salvation, as in verse 8, and our peace with God in verse 1. And this is where a paraphrase really helped me. Because verse 3 begins in this paraphrase. But that's not all. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of opening up a Christmas present. And you open up the box. And there is this amazing gift 
we'll call it salvation right now, that you've always needed and always wanted and now it's yours. And then the giver of the gift says, but there's more. That's not all there is. What more could I want, let alone need? And verse 3 says, God's grace enables us to rejoice. Did you see what it says? In our sufferings. Well, that's a leap. Rejoice in our sufferings. Yes. It's probably one of the greatest gifts Sherry and I get when we facilitate grief share here at church. Not only for people in our church, but also for the people from the community. Because people need to understand how God can be gracious and kind and enable them to look at their loss, however serious and multiple it is, and find a time when they can actually have joy. It's quite a journey. It's not an easy trip. If you know the 23rd Psalm, you know that the Lord promises his presence through the valley of the shadow of death. I politely say, that is not a canyon. It's a valley. You experience the loss and God walks with you through those horrific decisions you have to make. Through the valley. And you come out on the other side and we've seen people make the journey from mourning to joy. It's such a privilege to be able to encourage people with who God is and how gracious he is and how he longs that this suffering accomplishes what he hoped it would accomplish as our verse says, that suffering produces endurance. And endurance in verse four produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. I would that everybody who's experiencing loss would learn more of God's love and not be questioning it more. One of the greatest aspects where healing comes in grief is to experience how God loves us and cares for us. 
You see, rejoicing in suffering isn't just mean, okay, whatever. It's saying, okay, God, walk me with, walk with me through this to accomplish what you want to accomplish in me. You see, it's knowing that, knowing that God has something in this for me. And one of the things we have to come to grips with, especially when we're encountering difficulties, is this life is not all there is. Praise God, it's usually less than 100 years. Sometimes it's a little bit more for some people. Sometimes it's a whole lot less. But the hope that we have in God is that there's something so much better that awaits us for all eternity. That whatever we experience right now and we, we try to feel God's love for us in the midst of this difficult time, whatever the suffering is, that one day we're going to suffer no more. And it's that hope that does not cause us to be brought down. God in his grace wants us to look forward to what he has in store for us. And that's why people who don't know Christ have such a hard time when they suffer, whatever the suffering is. Look at verse 9 with me. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We know, because of God's grace in salvation, that the wrath of God that is to come on this world is not going to be our experience because Christ has already paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. If you're approaching this Christmas time, and my easiest way to describe it is an empty chair at the table, somebody who was there last year, not going to be there this year. Get to know God better. Look at the Word. Look at the Psalms and how God reveals Himself to us. And, and rejoice in his undeserved love and his undeserved blessings in our lives. Don't let hard times make you bitter. Seek to trust God more fully even when you don't understand. It's what I really like about the song that says, when I don't see his plan, when I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. I may not know exactly why he's putting me through this, but I know that he has purposes and plans for my life. Satan would cause this time of suffering to pull, would want to pull you away from your loving Heavenly Father. And God says, run to me, don't run from me. 
was talking to a lady whose husband had just died. Um, he and I had an interesting uh, togetherness. Um, <clears throat> not the kind you would hope for. I was driving a van and he was driving a semi and he ripped my driver's door off. Um, I knew who was driving the semi and as I turned left, he decided to pass me. It's not usually a good idea. But uh, later on, Dave was driving and all of a sudden he, he just experienced, I am in a health crisis. He was able to pull his rig off the shoulder going around Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he dialed 911 on his phone, told him where he was at, and he said, you got to come and get me. And uh, it, was, it wasn't a result of our accident, but it was something that, that God had prepared us all for, and he's home in glory. And I went, went to see Audrey, and I said, I just want you to know how much Dave loved you and how much I love you and how much God loves you and, and that he's here. He's with you. She looked at me, and I'll never forget this. She says, it's just nice to have somebody here with skin on. God's there. And in his grace, he wants to minister to us all. Let me tell you a short story. Um, we got a letter from the uh, Christian school that Sherry attended. And it was written by a woman who now works for this school, but was describing what life was like for her when her kids started going to this school. She found out about this. Uh, for those of you who are Los Angeles people, maybe you remember Culture Academy. Well, she found out that this was a great place for kids to get college prep education. So even though she wasn't a Christian, she sent her, two, her son and her daughter to the school. And she began to notice changes in their lives. Didn't know why, but one day she was talking to her son, and by this time he's in middle school. And she said, if I'm good enough, will I go to heaven someday? And with all the grace he could muster, he shared the gospel with his mother. And she realized that she could never be good enough. They started going to church, and she came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit sitting in the front row next to her son as he's belting out amazing grace. And she realized that she needed that grace in her life. And she said, because of this school, showing my kids how to be born again by the grace of God, God took over my life. She thought if she could be good enough, she would go. But she found out you can't. So salvation, to sum it up, is available because of God's love in sending Jesus Christ to die. It's ours by God's grace through faith. God's grace continues to operate in our lives, bringing us peace with him because of Christ's death. And God's loving care for us helps us when we're experiencing trials and troubles. 
One of the things we do in Grief Share is teach the people to take the verses of the Word of God and make it personal. So I'm going to read this passage of Scripture once more for us, and I'm going to insert my personal pronouns in here. I, me, my, into this reading. Someone came up to me in between service and he says, that so touched me to hear me in that passage. So here's how it goes. You can follow along. It's not too difficult to do it, but I wanted to type it out to get it right. Here we go. Therefore, since I have been justified by faith, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Through him I have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which I stand. And I rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but I rejoice in my sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put me to shame, because God's love has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to me. For while I was still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, that's me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for me in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Since therefore I have now been justified by his blood, much more shall I be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while I was an enemy, I was reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that I am reconciled, shall I be saved by his life. More than that, I also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom I have now received reconciliation. And if that's not true for you today, if you can't see yourself in that passage, make it true before you leave today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being willing to come and die on the cross for our sins, that we might experience the grace of God, God's unmerited favor for us. Thank you that he who knew no sin bore our sins that we might proclaim his praises and rejoice in his goodness. Amen. The message titled God's Gift of Grace was given by Ken Bergstad at Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. This is the final message in our Advent series titled When Love Came Down. For more information and resources from Christ Community, please visit us at www.ccclh.org.